Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for September 12th, 2022. Featuring poet Anthony Thomas Lombardi leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at a beautiful new space at 144 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights. And also live stream via Zoom if you get a virtual ticket. For more information and to get tickets, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Nico Bryan, Vanessa Trost, Roy Wong, Jennifer Vano, Charlie Shaw, Jess Gagne, Vladi Pupo Mayungbo, Jasmine Pirik, Vanessa Horan, Daniela Balarezo, Nidhi Vanga, Emma Carnes, Navila Nahid, Danielle Gasparo, Arthur Russell, Cassidy Gabriel, Stella Lee, Michael Cohen, Parrish Finn, Syringria Rao, and last but not least, Stephanie New. Alright, well, I'm sure you're as excited as I am to hear the second podcast of the second in-person yop since April of 2020. Let's get right to it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for September 12th, 2022. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're going to get started. Welcome back. For the open mic portion of the Brooklyn Poets Yop for September 12th. I love the sound of people congregating. It's a lot better than the silence of the Zoom break. <laughs> we did Yops on Zoom for over two years, and I enjoyed that on some levels. <laughs> I especially enjoyed it at the beginning of the pandemic, but after a while, it, it got a little old. Uh, especially since I, like, I never left my chair. I was like, are we going to take a break? And then I literally didn't move. Uh, before we get to uh, our feature reader, Anthony Thomas Lombardi, and then the rest of the open mic readers, I wanted to invite Taylor Molly, who's here tonight. He's uh, teaching a drop-in class, a new drop-in class for us on Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. called Metaphor Dice. Uh, if you don't know Taylor Molly, he's a, a very famous guy and a great teacher. And he's also wearing a great t-shirt. So give a warm welcome to Taylor Molly. Good evening, everybody. I first made plans to come to my first yawp in uh, April of 2020. And, uh, and it didn't work out. And, uh, and so, but tonight is it. Um, so I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm so proud of... All you have put on the line and to, to do this, a brick and mortar store in Brooklyn Heights, it is amazing what you have achieved. And I hope to make this my home away from home. Good job, good job. I'm a, I'm a poetry teacher, itinerant poetry teacher for the last 22 years. And uh, in 2016, I was teaching a poetry workshop about metaphor. And I asked the class to pick an abstract noun an adjective and a concrete noun and put them together and make a metaphor. And most of them had fun with it, but there was this one girl who was sitting there like this. And I went up and said, what's, what's wrong? She said, I'm really more of a math science person. 
I said, well, here, you just, just pick three words. And she said, okay, my father, broken, mirror. I was like, okay, that's a metaphor. My father is a broken mirror. Nobody would ever think you meant that literally. That's a figurative expression. And your job is to just flesh that out. Why is that true? And she said, I think I can do that. And I went around the room, and I came back, and this is what she wrote. My father was a broken mirror, which is to say he'd been shattered into a thousand pieces and was hard to hold without cutting yourself. Seven years of bad luck that man was, my mother always said. I'm glad he's dead. But even in the smallest, tiniest, most jagged pieces, I can still recognize my own reflection. And I'm getting goosebumps here. And that was the day that I thought, why isn't there like a little game where we can teach figurative language backwards? First, just like come up with a, a thousand metaphors until one speaks to you. And so I invented metaphor dice. Red, white, and blue. The reds are the big concepts like hope, time, poetry, beauty. The blues are the small objects, like a sideshow, a mirror, or a songbird. And the uh, whites are the adjectives, and you roll them and you get <laughs> Poetry is a sad promise. If, you're, if your workshop tonight taught us nothing, it is about the sad promise of poetry. And you know what? I think the sad promise of poetry, you just need to take those. So you get that set. I'll be teaching tomorrow at 5 in that room. I'll see you then. Say there, Molly, everyone. Uh, I love this guy. Uh, 5 o'clock tomorrow, Metaphor Dice. Please come. Uh, he's also an incredibly handy guy. He just came in and started fixing shit. All the shit that the, all the, shit that the general contractor didn't do who were paying thousands of dollars, he's... Yeah, he put those little hooks in there so like the door doesn't open again or like Madeline Phillips got locked in at the first yop and like uh, that's not going to happen again because Taylor Molly fixed that door. So <laughs> we appreciate it and uh, I think uh, you'll find he's an even better teacher and poet than handyman, although he's an amazing handyman. So just <laughs> imagine what he's like as a poet and poetry teacher. Okay, I feel like I like backed myself into a corner there. I was like, I'm making it sound like he's a bad handyman, but actually <laughs> he's a great handyman. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get to the readings. Our first reader tonight is Anthony Thomas Lombardi. Give it up. It's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, I have three poems, and I'm going to read them very quickly in the interest of time. As uh, Jason mentioned at the top of the show, I don't know, some people might not have been here, um, but I got married today. <laughs> and my wife is actually right here. <laughs> and I'm actually gonna read a poem I wrote for her. <laughs> Unholy. 
This poem is unholy, scarcely a drop of suffering to be found. Angels protest, terrified, don't fly but dive through clouds of smoke trying to occupy space. I am merely graceless, caught like a spider web in your lashes. When you break my fall, you are calm at a fruit stand in New York and maybe a strange. The gunslinger effect deduces that in a duel, the shooter who draws first will lose. So be careful what you're good at. I was born gripping pearl handles, piercing mirrors like a cardinal breaking glass upon seeing its reflection. Once, I saw you and didn't blink until the sky bled daylight, lips slick with expired moon. I've shed slabs of flesh like spent shells from lonely snipers who graze azaleas to spare their targets, but I would savor even the skin you pluck from your teeth. When a sunflower is full of seeds, it will bend its head to ease the long trip home. This seems almost joyful, letting go, like the dead butterfly you preserved in a plastic sleeve, only to dream a gale of wings ringing you a halo. Sleepless as a finch in a snowstorm, you filch the dark focus from magic hour, reduce the sun to a flickering votive kissing your shoulder. If you move even a little, I will inhale the tender planet of your head, tuck its damp mess beneath my tongue, and scatter your curls like buckshot across the night sky. Um, I also wrote this for her. It's brand new. I just finished it. <clears throat> in a world where you are possible. I stole that title from Frank O'Hara. <laughs> in a world where silkworms turn in the wind into moths with prodigious hunger and no mouth where you are possible, even the most miscreant of sinners die on their knees. We grieve the bones imprint, burnished from the dirt like the velvet depression a lost diamond leaves behind. Beloved, even the apocalypse is fleeting. Like a bruise just shy of sinew, you can linger as long as you like, but we can't give up the ghost on every hill. Where the desert spills itself empty, rattlesnakes need only 500 calories a year to survive and still mice burrow unseen miles away in forgotten grain. What I mean to say is you can't give back what you haven't taken. May I be worthy of this reward. Bless the broken soil and all petty thieves when captured withdraw my shield in a house of shattered glass. It's been exhausting remaining alive on perfect days, where evening strangled light pools between limbs swollen around each other like a rib cage. When the sky opens at dusk, the rattle of a lonely predator stirs quiet as a church mouth, the dust motes that glide in the glow of stained glass settling like misplaced planets. When you open your mouth, a soldier drops his sword clean as a priest, but shrewdly, you are primed for famine, teeth bloodless and frantic as a tuning fork hit the bone and everybody hears it sing, even the light falling from stars already dead.
Okay, I feel like I need to read this one because I wrote it about a dream. <laughs> and actually, I, I woke up from the dream and I started writing it, and it pretty much remains intact from the way that I wrote it down. It's called a relapse dream. <clears throat> I'm dripping cherries onto the carpet, and for a minute I'm jealous of my own knuckles, and before I know it, there's mounds of stale cake flattening in the floorboards, and bees fill the room, and I tell myself, I'm at peace with this offering, at least there's cake, and no one has to wait until I'm done crying to eat it. And then the bees fill my mouth, and my tongue fattens like it's got some place to be, and there goes eating cake, and how are all these sacrificial insects supposed to store honey for the winter, and won't the hive miss them, and won't I miss them. And when I open my mouth, their wings are beautiful, dressed with oils and blisters, and my lips swell with the sliver of another dying thing. And I begin to consider the instinct required to accept your undoing, no matter how fatal this thing might be. And where do I even get the gall to welcome the kind of violence that greeted greater men just once before they woke up as ghosts? And when will I understand the zinnias as merely a peace offering from a less forgiving God? And don't they rely on the same ecosystem as the bees? And don't I rely on the same ecosystem as the bees and don't I see the lesson here and how many men need to sigh boys and wings ain't men to last before I fold up my prayers and tuck them in my cheek and when will I be empty by what a night doesn't promise instead of what it does and when will these wings unfurl however brief and prove that my shoulders are built for more than breaking falls and if all the cake is gone I said help yourselves at least there's blooms of honey right here in my mouth and how many bees need to die Keep it going for the newlywed, Anthony Thomas Lombardi. That was fierce. That was like so fierce, but it was also like romantic. <laughs> it's like a really strange combination, but uh, I loved it. Uh, it's definitely a first in the history of the Broken Poets Yop. Uh, a newlywed teacher teaching it. <laughs> he makes us question all of our commitment to poetry. Like, <laughs> the, f the fuck was I doing when I, get, when I got married? I was getting drunk. <laughs> I was definitely not teaching <laughs> or reading poetry. <laughs> um, okay, uh, thank you, Tony. We are on to the open mic list. Our first reader tonight is Nico Bryan. Give it up for Nico. Extended applause. <laughs> Haven't even read yet. Um, okay. Thank you, everyone. I'm Nico. Uh, this is called Pray, Pray. Uh, it's from a forthcoming chapbook I have about a lot of homophones. I'm very obsessed with them. I'll rest right here, make shelter out of your sternum. Etch a prayer on your ribs. I read it out loud, but all you hear is a howl. Divinity lives on the tongue of the beast. Divinity lives in the heat of your mouth. I'll be your caged animal, wild, rabid, spit dripping off of my fangs, pooling at your throne. 
My soft sounds rise up, indistinct panting fills the air. You drop to your knees and slowly unfurl before me. Place your neck between my lips. I'm filled to the jowls with your sweat. Easy now, be delicate now. Hunger is a feral creature. Let us pray, let us pray. This heart is pulsing. This sex is pulsing. We ask the Lord if he can hear it. We ask the Lord to forgive what he has created. Thank you. That's a great start. Thank you, Nika. Beautiful poem. Uh, I neglected to mention in my excitement <laughs> about various things that uh, we do record the open mic as a podcast that we call the Yawpcast, and every month we vote for Yawp Poem of the Month. Um, and the way to do that, if you want to write the number down, if you don't know it already, is uh, you're going to text me the poet you prefer at the end of the night. The number is 718-374-1953. Incidentally, it's also the business phone of Brooklyn Poets. It used to be my former personal number, but uh, you can no longer text me at that number because I will not respond. Uh, but you can text me the winner, or your desired winner, of Yacht Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. You can just text me the poet's name. Please wait until the end of the night to do that. We have our uh, last month's winner in the house, who uh, I will introduce later tonight because she's reading tonight. Uh, and the 12 winners of Yacht Poem of the Month face off in December at the Yacht Poem of the Year contest, and that's just a couple months away, uh, so that is exciting. Our next reader tonight is one of my former Brooklyn Poets students. Give it up for Vanessa Trost. Thank you. Uh, congratulations to the newlyweds. It gets better. Being married, no seriously, being married is great. I'm in year 23, I highly recommend it, okay? <laughs> seriously, it's great. I should have done it earlier, you know, than I was in year 25. So good for you, starting early. Um, also, I did not know, because I did not really read the description, how f topically fitting my reading would be. But a little trigger warning, I write rhyming sonnets, so. <laughs> Here it goes. Uh, of the unrequited love of words, to the thoughts I did not write. The soul of my beloved paper once then touched too many times in one place as if to corral the moment's thoughts into print, a wish ending in a hieroglyph. The written word strikes a chord in me. Stars in the skies I admire from below, shining bright onto empty paper in front of me, a feeble promise for words to somehow show. Agony, grand words others wrote appear, eschewing my paper still, forever, lily white, besides the place touched too often, now sheer. The beginning, the thought I again didn't write. Doesn't matter how much the stain gives me pain, if the thoughts call my name, they are my chain. Thank you, Vanessa. That was the best trigger warning ever. <laughs> I'm always going to remember that. Our next reader tonight is Roy Wong. Give it up for Roy. 
Hi, I thought I'd pick this one out because it's Mid-Autumn Festival, and it's vaguely related to that. <laughs> uh, also, I am accepting recommendations for a better title, <laughs> The Measure of Satiety. Even trees no want. The red maples turned green this year to absorb more sun. And what would Wang Wei say if the jack pine whispered it really wished it were not so close to such bluffs and 20 meters to the stream while we're at it? Then mist tumbling off mountains like Chang'e's moon-streaked hair would demand slopes that induce thermoclines for more Sansui-worthy fog. The immortal inspecting the tortoise mountain, the regenerating fog, a noble trio to follow the truffle-sniffing hog up walk-up fantasies. The happiest person in America, statistically speaking, is a male Asian doctor in Hawaii <laughs> with two kids. <laughs> Unlike cirrus clouds who know no boundaries, does his fantasy really end above an island? Or like the magnolia and her friend the jack pine, just know to be silent? stuff. I think that statistic is true. Great shirt, too. Uh, I don't know if you could read it. His shirt said, not sorry. <laughs> Our next reader is, uh, I think, a new Brooklyn Poets member. I met you a couple of weeks ago. Give it up for Jennifer Vano. I'm very excited. And this poem is actually a poem that I wrote as a result of Anthony's drop-in class. So I can attest he does teach a class. And so thank you and congratulations. <laughs> um, it's called Threshold. It hadn't occurred to me to question who sent him, the teacup bulldog all squished and folded with the ribbon tied around his neck. Only I hadn't imagined this would come. And yes, I hear you, I'm warned. The ribbon was red and so was the gift tag that hung from it. To my name, all caps, in white, from far, written the same. When I opened the door after I heard the knock and I looked down, I saw the ribbon first. Red like after staring at a hot air balloon hovering far at the back of an eye pressure machine. Don't blink, hold tight, well done. Your neck scrunched and squeezed as you fit your chin into the strap in front of you, waiting for it, that flash, a confrontation you learned to swallow into your bones, like all those times you left yourself on the floor, or in a bed, or in the back of a car, and floated out of yourself and above yourself, watching yourself say nothing, as though the answer to what was being expected of you was yes. And then what if it, the teacup bulldog with the red ribbon and the gift tag around his neck sent from far to me, were a way in, to somewhere deeper than my house's threshold allows for, like if I were to bend further down toward him, I'd break into pieces, all fascia and skin and cornea, all of it, and fall piece by piece down the tunnel that lies just beyond that bulldog's breath. You were there, or some other you. Your eyes said, get rid of him. But what if... When I opened the door and I looked down at my feet, he was there looking up, eyes moon-wide, looking down quickly, then up again at us, soft and ready and asking. His poor ribbon ripped and stained, and there had been no tag, no way to know for who, 
or from where? Had I had a pen, I would have grabbed at that ribbon, snug inside the folds of his neck, and held the tag in my hand and scratched out the two, leaving that puppy to not wear my name, but bear it. That puppy now a gift and a risk and a reflection of some far away sense of me I can't quite see. I remember that puppy never looked up and come to think of it, it's hard to know if its eyes were open or there at all. Don't press me, don't push, don't ask me if I kept him, who knows. Look, it says my name, he is my name. Thank you. All right, wow, thank you so much, Jennifer. Great stuff. Our next reader, I think, is, uh, we've had a lot of Yop debuters so far tonight. I think, in fact, I think everyone read for the first time, unless I'm mistaken, which is great. Let's give them all a round of applause for reading for the first time. I didn't mention that. Our next reader is Charlie Shaw. Give it up for Charlie. Yes, this is my first time. I'm Charlie Shaw. I just moved here to Brooklyn a month ago from Utah. <laughs> so, thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, I've noticed I write a lot of poems that are like, I try to make them like little capsules that are like solutions for my audience or like sometimes for myself. And so I'm leaning into just writing poetry for poetry's sake writing poetry just to feel it or just to make something cohesive of my experience. Sometimes it's metaphorical and I wrote a poem about how waking up on the bad days is like being stuck and fidgeting at the center of a cinnamon roll. This one is a bit more just literal, I guess. I wrote it last night. New stuff. It's called Matriarch right now. I spoke with my mother's mother on the phone last night. She went to my sister's baby shower last weekend. My sister is having a girl child. I didn't make it to her shower because I'm on the other side of the country. My grandma told me how she prayed before she went in. Asked God to make the anxiety go away. She told me how my mother complimented her haircut. My mother told her it looked perfect. Then my mother rewrote that my grandmother herself did indeed look perfect. My grandmother told me how my aunt stood, stood next to her in a photo. She told me how her daughter gave her a hug. My grandmother told me how she is so happy with these little positive moments and is glad for when they come and will take them for what she wants them to be regardless of how her children mean it. It made me smile and it made me want to scream. She asked me why I was crying again. I told her that I get it. Every mother wants to be close with her child, and every child wants to be close with their mother, and it's just hard sometimes, and that hurts. I told her how I'm happy for her, that her children were nice to her. I just want more connection than these scraps. 
Yes, I want to celebrate the little things. Sometimes celebrating the little things makes me sick. There is a drought of matriarchal line disconnection in my family, and it makes me want to scream. I told her that I'm happy when me and my mother can share those moments and compliment each other and share a hug and stand next to each other in a photo. I'm happy for it, and it makes me want to scream because every mother wants to be close with her daughter and every daughter wants to be close with her mother, and it's just hard sometimes, and that hurts. There is a chasm of disconnect in my matriarchal line. It is a calamity. Thank you. Thank you. That was great, Charlie. Um, what was that line? Just want connection. Oh, we get our scraps. Is that what that line was? Yeah. Yeah. True, true shit right there. And then it's just, it's hard sometimes and it just, it hurts. <laughs> I love that line. I'm laughing, but I explained this to my drop-in the other day. Anytime I'm laughing, it's, I'm like crying inside. Okay, our next reader is a, uh, a Yop. I was going to say a Yop reader. That sounds ridiculous. Someone that has read for the Yop many times before and delighted us. Uh, give it up for Jess Gagne. Hi. Um, I have to find the page. Um, so I didn't have anything new, um, but... There was something in my writing folder called Extra for Yop. <laughs> and it was uh, two poems about my mom who died 21 years ago this month. Um, so I had them in reverse order. And I'm going to read them this way. Uh, and they don't have a title. There is nothing else like this. I just wanted to be close to you. I wonder if you knew that when you were so patient so warm and soft in your floral print pajamas, voice like quiet music, and I didn't know any better. I thought I would always have you. I'm trying to remember your poem about fogging up all the mirrors in the bathroom. Ha ha, school is fun. Some days I wonder if I should check all the bathrooms and look for you there on the mirrors laughing. If you had known sooner, wouldn't you have been different, less perfect, less loving? Wouldn't you have made it easier to leave? Beautiful poem. Thank you, Jess. I like that folder. <laughs> Extra folder. Uh, touching poem. Um, our next reader, uh, I'm going to try to get your name right. If I don't, please absolutely correct me when you get up here. Is it Ola Di Pupo Mayongbo? <laughs> please correct me. Give it up. Um, I'm nervous. Uh, this is... 
This is fun. I'm also an educator. My name is Oladi Pupo Mayungbo. Um, I teach uh, middle school math, uh, so algebra. Um, I've had them, yeah. So I'm just coming back from the little babies. Um, uh, so this poem is entitled uh, The Mosquitoes. Um, and I think we all, if we were to pick one insect, right? We, can, we would say we would abolish the mosquito, right? Yeah. Sad but true, you know? Um, so it goes a little something like this. Uh, we clap for the vermin. They are so good at being pests. When they're not busy slurping, they are cheating us out of rest. We worked hard in this body, deserving of every penny and drop. But in these subtropical climates, they just don't know how to stop. Some of their families may be hungry, so blood money is often key. When you are born a little fly, where is the opportunity? They hum and they dance, their artistry is profound. To change their circumstance, one must be limitless and not bound. The females fight for their young, even when the risk comes with complications. The men try their best to cater to these dire situations. <laughs> Reproduce at all costs so their children have a better life. They'll have to lie, cheat, and steal to disregard an unfortunate strife. We clap for the vermin. They are so good at being pests. The insect colonies like to ignore them. They are seasonal at best. <laughs> Give it up. We clap for the vermin. That's <laughs> a great line. <laughs> Seasonal at best. Uh, you and Vanessa should talk. Uh, you guys are rhymesters. I love it. Uh, our next reader uh, was the winner of Yacht Poem of the Month last month. If you were here, she read this amazing poem about her mother. Give it up for Jasmine Pyrrhic. I got her name right. Okay, I'm gonna read a new poem that I'm really nervous to read. Um, I was gonna read something very wholesome, and uh, now I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, it was inspired, Kyle Lang, he also teaches, he read a poem a few months ago, I think, um, that was inspired by another poem, by Jameson Fitzpatrick, um, from his collection, Pricks in the Tapestry. And I think it's called something like a poem where nothing bad happens to me. Um, it's a bit of a confessional poem. So here we go. It's titled Carnivore or What I Wouldn't Tell You on Our First Date. I wouldn't tell you that the contents of my fridge include a bag of mission tortillas, a bottle of honey mustard, one thoroughly rotted summer squash, half a dehydrated onion, a carton of half and half, yes, I do dairy, a dozen eggs, well, six intact and six empty shells. 
I wouldn't tell you that my produce goes bad fast because I don't have a proper fruit and vegetable crisper drawer and that I've looked up stackable fruit and vegetable crisper containers for my small New York apartment fridge, but that I abandoned the tab almost as quickly as I opened it because when I think of making that purchase, I think about how I'd rather spend the money on a pair of black leather platform loafers that literally everyone is wearing right now, which I hate myself for wanting, but I want them nonetheless. And then I think about how these stackable fruit and vegetable crisper containers would just be another thing I'd have to clean, but wouldn't clean, like the Tupperware in the freezer with the slow cooker, slow cooker chili verde I made, intending to invite the guy over I was sleeping with to share it with me, but didn't, because I didn't want to seem too domestic and have him feel more attached than I was ready for. I wouldn't tell you that I want to throw the Tupperware away instead of cleaning it, but I haven't because the guilt would be too much to bear, even though no one would know it, and that the guilt wouldn't be from adding the plastic to the landfill, it would be from knowing that someone might find out that I added plastic to the landfill. I wouldn't tell you that I've probably only deep cleaned my shower twice this year, but I do the surface level clean, a quickie wipe down, like when I was a kid and my mom told me to do the dishes and later explained that also meant clean the kitchen. So after I'd load the dishwasher, I'd do a spot clean, taking twice the effort and time to pick up crumb by crumb from around the toaster with my thumb and index fingers. I wouldn't tell you that sometimes I fantasize about what it would be like to pay the same rent and live in the suburbs in a house with a yard and a double wide refrigerator with the produce crisping drawers, two toddlers, a curling iron, and a husband who works for the city or the fire department. I wouldn't even tell you that I want a husband or a baby. I wouldn't tell you that I was married once at 19 to my high school sweetheart and that sometimes in the fantasy where I'm standing on the porch barefoot with a baby in my belly and one running in the front yard, the husband in the picture is still him. I wouldn't tell you that part of me is scared that if I have a baby, there would be a day where I wouldn't want it anymore. I wouldn't tell you that writing poems is more important than biking around with you, but that spending time, whether it works or it doesn't, will stick with me like beef jerky stuck between my two back molars, and I will love spending hours picking you from my teeth, examining the tiny macerated pieces and putting them into my poems word by word. I wouldn't tell you how in the first grade a boy who liked me punched me in the eye, how I never let another boy punch me in the eye, but how I let them call the shots, which is a different kind of punching. I wouldn't tell you about the time my neighbor friend and I sat on the floor at seven or eight years old and compared the fuzz on our peaches, later arranging our legs around each other to know what it would feel like to rum rub our summer fruits together. I wouldn't tell you that at age 12, in a new town, in a new house with a new best friend, how our favorite thing to play when it was late and her mom was sleeping was the massage game. How we'd take turns laying on her bed, one of us blindfolded, the other using a feather or a scarf or the slightest touch of a middle finger to wake the other's skin. How we'd feel a tingling, feel our panties getting damp. How we'd talk about it later, how fun it was. How we said we imagined it was the boys we liked, touching us this way, not each other how it was all just pretend. I wouldn't tell you that one summer after my first year of college, I ate so many bear claws out of my dorm hall vending machine, my stomach stuck out far enough and my skin hurt bad enough that I wondered if stretch marks might spontaneously combust. I wouldn't tell you that after I stopped the disordered eating, I replaced excess carbs and sugar with a new kind of sweetness. 
I wouldn't tell you that there's a man who still emails me three years after we broke up asking to catch up, or another who calls, even drops into my office to see if I'm in, or another who just last week DM'd me on Instagram after four years asking if we could talk right then. I wouldn't tell you that I did a really good job helping these men feel close to me. I wouldn't tell you that I made tiny circles on their closed eyelids, stroked their eyebrows softly, traced, traced their Adam's apples with my index finger, just like I'd learned with my best friend in her bed. How I let those men sleep over, wrap their bodies around mine, lay bare belly to bare belly and share stories about our mothers and our fears and our homes. I wouldn't tell you that I asked them if they wanted a cup of coffee in the morning, asked if they liked it sweet. I wouldn't tell you how delighted I was when they said it was the best they'd ever had. I wouldn't tell you that one night we were ice skating, ankles and cheeks aching from the trying and the laughter, but how the following day the text I sent was short and simple. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Please respect my wishes. Do not contact me again. I wouldn't tell you that I'm worried about you becoming another one of these men. I wouldn't tell you that I am wasting your time or mine. I wouldn't tell you any of these things because, of course, they are not true. All right, God damn. Thank you, Jasmine. Uh, that poem went in so many places that I wasn't expecting, but there was a phrase earlier in the poem that I just adored, quickie wipe down. <laughs> I just, I just want to give proper praise to that phrase. I am the master of the quickie wipe down in the kitchen. I'm like, oh yeah, it looks cleaner now. <laughs> I just, Use my finger to, to get that spot out. Our next reader is, I think, another Yop debuter. I think it's Vanessa Horan. Yes? Give it up for Vanessa. Hey, y'all. How are you? This is my first slam poetry reading ever. Like, ever, ever. <laughs> oh god, okay. This poem is entitled Dinner Guest. This is not a murder mystery. Miss Scarlet Letter in the dining room with the revolving excuses. One for his mishandling of her. Like every piece of silver that le she let him steal from her cupboards. Another for the miserable, light-dimming feeling that glimmered in her eyes after he pawned off each candlestick. The ones that housed noble tapers. The ones that witnessed each time he mistook her adoration for charity. She wondered if he did it on purpose. It felt like her silent screams from across the table would shatter the chandelier, glass and crystal falling like meteors all around. She hiccuped instead and looked up, dabbing the corners of her mouth. There it hung, soft, suspended in air like frozen snow. She hiccuped and looked down, putting the cloth back in her lap, 
She could still, without skipping a beat, rattle off every reason why she let him traipse in and out of her life as her guest. Assurances and reassurances seared themselves into her core and her ribcage as her corset wound and bound them tighter. She imitates a jolly laugh at his doltish humor and touches her side where his fingers never fail to press, and she rings for her final course, even though he has not finished his meal. Her table was then set with an underwhelming amount of golden-tipped coffee spoons, ones that he has used too many times to measure her worth. The metal appears warped, much like the teaspoon-sized bruises along her chest that take new shapes each time her breath gets deeper. So she drinks her air lightly, like she takes her tea, never letting her lungs steep for too long. His hands haunt her like ghosts, his rough flesh cracking shells of crab and clutching bottles of wine like her torso. She begins her dessert. Unable to escape the panic, she breaks her facade with another hiccup, then another, and another, and another, she hopes that he doesn't notice her diaphragm drafting escape plans to the kitchen, down the stairs, up the conservatory, where she can release her CO2 and put it to good use. One hiccup for each excuse, she let twist her chandelier, winding it tighter and tighter until from a string it hung, but before it could snap, giving her time to run, he took his final course. He took her from the chair, and Mr. Green Light Contriver wrenched her rib in the hall. He gorged on each lobster tail she told herself to persuade herself that his company was endearing. And he left with a torn corset in hand, and she, well, she, she never made it to tea. Thank you. All right, thanks very much, Vanessa. Fantastic. Man, I'm having a good time. I usually have a good time at these things. I don't know about you, but uh, I really enjoy them. <laughs> might seem obvious, but... Uh, Always obvious. Um, we're about halfway through. Our next reader, I think, is another Yop debuter. Give it up for Daniela Balarezo. Hi. Uh, yes, I think I lied. I, I mean, I came to a Yop. I didn't perform. This is where it's from. Uh, Jessica Greenbaum did a kind of a two-part prompt where um, she asked us to write about summer, a summer memory, and an acrostic. So this is that. Uh, it's called Dogpile in a Storm. Desert summer, many summers, our tiny bodies sticky, with tears, sweat, and juice. Grandma's plants and grandchildren ache with thirst, the blood in our veins pulsating like thunder. 
the power's out. The cousins get ready to rumble. How I pray for days like these, when lungs turn into kneecap caps, the scent of boy head crawling up the nostril. Warm bodies stack and stack on each other like tortillas off the comal. Dead, the PlayStation. Dead, the TV. Death, come aboard too. Only the radio could save us, but grandma has it on old rancheras, and we are 11 and 7, 9 and 5, and as a rule, we avoid accordion nostalgia. So we pocket dump on the bed anything that could amuse. Marbles, jacks, old promotional cardboard milk caps, nothing but lint. So we return. In lieu of entertainment, we pick on someone worthy of punishment in the form of a pylon. Lucky me for being the smallest. The boys layer themselves on me recklessly. And I pray for more. Endless nights where we ball together, inextricable, like masa for tamales. My slobber, spit, and snot, staining the sheets with my love. Thank you. So many great moments on that. Death come aboard too. And uh, nothing but lint. <laughs> great moment. Uh, our next reader is Nitty Vanka. Give it up for Nitty. really like a while ago but it's not done unfortunately but that's fine but word of advice if you're ever driving in a rainstorm and you think you have a flat tire but the sound that's being made does not sound like a flat tire that means you're driving on your rim and that's not good and that's a mistake I made but thankfully I was okay but uh bless the AAA man who didn't laugh at me when he saw my tire but it's called Locust Lane this town the air I breathe it in, the fresh air, but all that reaches my lungs is hot and putrid shame. Because here I am, again, shredded, gnawing at any semblance of sweetness that reminds me of arrows, newly thumbed from pomegranate, plump and juicy, filled with a colorful fervor. Now all that remains is me and this tire, shredded and torn, askew across the pavement, and I'm wondering, how did I drive on this not so much of a tire? I laugh, pitchy and caught in my throat. How has this body, mangled from toe to brain, been able to go on without a soul? This body, she loads, she eats, she smiles, she cries, letting out big dollops that drip down to the tongue, erasing all that sweet. And all that is left is me and this tire. Thank you. Oh, that was tragic. Uh, I'm definitely that guy that keeps driving on the, if I'm have a flat tire, I'm like, I feel like I can make it another 
30 miles and <laughs> I just keep driving. Because <laughs> do I want to like pull over on the side of the highway? Absolutely not. I want to get to like a restaurant or something. And uh, yeah, but I've never written a poem, so that was a great move. Um, our next reader is Emma Carnes. Give it up for Emma. Hi everybody, I'm Emma. Uh, this is an ode to our city, where we are. It's called Golden Hour in Sternberg Park. We are fisher people in the great lit seas of stars. Don't you ever feel the world nipping at you, making a fuss about it? Not to mention the singing girl racketeering a razor scooter, and the early crickets, and the dog's yips, and the two ice cream trucks boxing with their jingles, and the boy in the outfield zombie drawing at his friend, I'm coming for you, and the shrill ding of the baseball coming at them, and the church bells chiming, seven, seven, the windows beam with honor at this hour. And that too is a distraction that the light that skits is pious. Yes, all love is looking and knowing, all turning in the palm and marveling, all lying on the ground and pointing, and all praise is, in this way, digging, weeding, building. Is this a secret we all know, that we don't put in grace over dinner, under the bulb at the table like a grass field purpling, with the ice cubes melting? that it's impossible and insolent to escape the lovely fiber, the city being, and that we don't get its peace. We're with its chaos as we'd be with a butterfly on the pinky. And we're with our breath as well as such. And we're in the time, and we're in the date, and we're part of the excess, but free of its shame. Thank you. All right, thank you. Part of the excess, but free of its shame. I, I don't feel free of its shame, but uh, definitely part of its excess. Uh, I love that green, whatever it was that you had. I just that was so beautiful. She was like, "I have an ode," and it was. Just, I was like, "That's a poet." <laughs> I just love the elegance of that. Uh, where Where are the rest of your green portfolios? And uh, I have an ode. <laughs> You're all like, oh, I got a poem. She's like, I have an ode, so you fucking listen. Uh, thank you for bringing elegance back, Emma. Our next, <laughs> now it sounds shitty, like I called the rest of you inelegant. That's not what I mean. Uh, that was just like extra elegant. Our next reader, before I say anything else that makes me sound stupid, is uh, Navila Nahid. Give it up for Navila. This piece is called Bloom. When the velvet bloom praised the gut, I look to you for acknowledgement. You see it too, right? The hunger that blankets us, the unison in patience, the unison elation. You look in my eyes and sigh and open out of my arms. I breathe you in and the bloom spreads. 3 a.m. DTFs, dance parties that call in the moon, 
mingled shadows behind neon, space eroding between us, two batter of hearts unfolding as erasure of hope. You ask me if this is enough. I find your yes and echo my own. And we stay, a tender linger compounded, until we don't, until time becomes pivot of realize, withering bloom into space. I ask you if this is enough. You lie and say yes. I sigh and breathe you out, and the bloom disintegrates. Abandoned hoodies, text left on, on red, our eyes missing each other on purpose, the space between us. A unison disassociation, a unison resignation, two renegade hearts pawing at hope for more, for so much more. And the whore gives, she gives and gives, a tender linger against sever, until final forfeit of fate fades away unused. All right, thank you. Beautiful poem. I find your yes and echo my own. Uh, I love Navila because she takes all of our drop-ins. So uh, you could all be like Navila and just show up for all the drop-ins, and you will be my best friend too. <laughs> and uh, all the best friends of the teachers who teach the drop-ins. Uh, they start again tomorrow, by the way. C is back. C has been in Greece. I'm very jealous of their travels, but they will be back tomorrow morning at uh, 11 a.m. for a uh, poem for you and poem for me. And Taylor Molly, as I mentioned earlier, will be here tonight, or sorry, not tonight, tomorrow night, 5 p.m. for Metaphor Dice. Uh, I was going to say our next reader is Danielle Gasparo, but I don't remember seeing her. Oh, she's right there. She just showed up. Give it up for Danielle Gasparo, who is also teaching a drop-in on Saturdays. Um, and I was touched to see my little uh, diagram is still on the blackboard. Yeah, so if you're curious what that means, come. I don't have dice, sorry. I can't, I can't lure you with dice. But I have what we've decided to call Vin Diesel grams. Because so, anyway, so <laughs> I, I draw things, so there's that. Okay, all right. I had, I did front and back thinking. I'll decide in the moment. So I'm gonna s segue away from the mom poem but hi, Mom. <laughs> All right, this is called Follow Your Bliss. Due to the thousands of applications we receive, only applicants being considered will be contacted. Please do not call. Please note we do not reply to queries via email as we only accept queries and submissions sent via regular mail. Note, mail deemed irregular at our discretion will be disregarded. No phone calls, please. And under no circumstance should you try to contact us with a telephone. Please do not visit our office. Please do not communicate with us by any means known to man or animal or spirit animal. There will be no need to contact us since we do not appreciate your interest. As a result of our indifference, we will not be in touch. If you are a multi-talented, sentient human being capable of doing the things we need done, you will not be made aware. 
please take it personally. Please stand by. Please, Mr. Postman, please please me. If you have a beating heart, keep up the good work. If you have a mother, call her. Feel free to feel like a failure as you continue to not contact us at any time. <laughs> Do not let on that you feel like a failure. Fail a lot. <laughs> I feel like I have this irrational desire to make that the Brooklyn Poets voicemail. No. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just going to play that recording. <laughs> that was an uh, unexpected like, hero of my life, that poem. Uh, Daniel Gasparro is teaching a uh, Saturday morning drop-in at 11 a.m. called Demystifying... What is the whole title again? Demystifying Right. The joy of befriending verse. So that's basically for all of you. I mean, it's maybe I think maybe you are all good with befriending verse. <laughs> but if you feel like uh, you don't understand poems sometimes, or you're just like uh, you're not, feel, you feel like the poem is your enemy because you're like the poet is being too hard or something, Danielle's course is uh, the one that you should take because she's going to demystify all of that. Um, she's going to read you that poem at the start. <laughs> Um, our next poet is Sarah Lynn Rogers, but I don't remember seeing her tonight. Is Sarah here? I don't think so. Okay, uh, it's looking good for the wait list then. Our next reader is uh, uh, many award decorated yawper. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Everybody. Let's have some fun. <laughs> you know, I went home from Jasmine Purick's award-winning poem last month, and I said, that's it. You just can't leave the family behind. So this is, I think it came out of that. I never clean up after myself. I do, however, clean my paintbrushes rather thoroughly, I'd say all the way up to the ferrule. I comb them, soak them, flick persistent cake spots with my fingernail. But I don't do last night's dishes till the morning. I mow, but I don't rake. Or in the autumn, I rake, but I don't sweep. I don't write closing memos for my files. Some don't even have a copy of the settlement. About the paintbrushes, it's because they're religious articles. The bristles make them so deserving of love. Washing my daughter's hair in a tub in the Parker Meridian Hotel in Barcelona after her stitches had been out in for a week, getting all the blood and gunk and matted bits of cut hair that had stuck there when they shaved the area around the wound. Her mom left the room. She couldn't bear the anticipated crying. But there was no crying. The two of us sat in that tub for more than an hour. We talked about the mini extreme Crico, the ice cream treat pictured on sidewalk boards outside most cafes along Los Ramblas. 
We'd been letting her have as many of them as she wanted since she fell backwards from the bed in the hotel in Tarragona and the marble baseboard clipped her head behind her ear. And we talked about Myrtle, her bathtub toy back home with black hair like a used toothbrush. Myrtle's job was to ask my daughter in a screechy Ethel Merman voice I'd made up for her if she was ready to have her hair washed. I'd hold her up and say, are you ready? <laughs> and my daughter would say, no. <laughs> Myrtle would say, well, get ready, which might go on for some time. We talked about an episode from her TV show, Hey Arnold, where a girl was crazy about chocolate. We talked about dresses. I asked what she thought Myrtle was doing right now. How glad we both were that Myrtle wasn't here. <laughs> that hour or more in the bathtub, sponging water on the gunk, gunky hair, holding a dry washcloth against her forehead to prevent drips, was the first time I'd actually seen the stitches, puntos in Spanish, three of them, little black dots where the square knots had submerged in the swollen skin around the rift. In the emergency room, when it became our turn to come through and the procedure began with a local anesthetic injected in her scalp, my ex-wife watched from the top while I squatted down in front of and locked eyes with our kid and for 10 minutes or so made faces and said things like, I didn't feel anything. Did you feel anything? <laughs> right now I'm thinking of my workshop mate, Shane Wagner who writes a lot these days about dire medical treatments and the emotional space they occupy. Being in a poetry workshop means always knowing when someone has cancer, vision loss, mottled hands from kidney disease, or has recently visited a graveyard. When I lean, when I lean my daughter's head back, the motion brought on a brief wave of panic that subsided beautifully into trust. And when I ladled water by the cupful, I think the cup was the cap from my shaving cream over her head, her super fine hair waved like seagrass. I was singing a song I'd made up in the park named for Juan Miro, where we'd played that day on a seesaw balanced on an enormous spring. You, too have to do what the teeter-totter tells you to, oh baby. <laughs> I could feel the individual hairs in each lock I shampooed between my fingers. I recently read that fingers can feel distinctions down to one one-thousandth of an inch. How beautiful. And those flattened rafts of hair pressing between my fingers as I washed it, mini lock by mini lock, I would have sworn I felt the curved surface of each hair. And somewhere in the second half hour, we were neither of us talking, neither of us singing, both of us equally deeply invested in the calm intimacy of our task. And drops of water plunked back into the tub and voices down the hallway reached us. Thank you. And I wanted to thank Michael for that wonderful poem about the carousel that you read before. It was just beautiful. Thank you.
Thank you, Arthur. What a beautiful poem. Uh, it's pretty cool to have a daughter. How many of you have daughters in here? <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool stuff. Uh, it's great to give them baths. So I was really. I was gonna say I was really fucking with that poem. It sounds like weird to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that imagery in the, the bathtub. Uh, it's just like about like kicking around. It's it's hilarious. Um, my daughter right now she just like screams all the time. It's hilarious. She's like ah, ah, ah. it's just like a little pterodactyl or something. Yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> Um, okay, our next reader is going to be one of our featured readers for our Friday Night Open on September 23rd. Give it up for Cassidy Gabriel. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. This poem is many parts. I don't know if it'll stay one poem, but I think I might read all the parts. Figure one of a body badly drawn. It has the feeling. Not the feeling, but the square root of it. There are moons everywhere, and they are tender to the touch. It is all very geometrical, isn't it? God would say this, would remark on the geometricality, the parabola heart, the whole thing growing like a planet, growing like you might expect. Everything grows as you might expect if you become the kind of person to expect that sort of thing. Toward the sky, and yet it bends at the waist just enough to be sincere and how it kicks, can kick and kick. Pharaoh from the neck up, facing everywhere, missing everything. Pectorals bearing fruit, cast in bronze and coughing up the thought. So good for it and for you. Will you quicken me? Can you? Quicken me to a place of scene and mouth, of yes and reflection of tongue or perhaps blood. The second is always here to tell you that the first was not an accident. Forgive it. The thing with tumors is that in dreams they are full of light. The dying in dreams is always full of light. Roll one like a marble straight from my breast, bruised fruit falls into forgiving and disobedient palm. It is all very kind and soft, again in this dream, and I want to rewrite the body from back to front. New font, new margins. I want the pages back. Suppose the light is cutting it over and over. It does not stop. Severs glittering neck and slice of brilliant ear. Suppose its speaking becomes weather and then wet, big and nothing, a fist in the mouth. Suppose you look underwater and find America untouched, just as you'd started to forget. Thank you. Great stuff. If you want to hear more of Cassidy Gabriel's work, you can get a ticket to the Friday Night Open September 23rd. She's going to be featuring along with Isabella Descendi. Again, we do have another open mic that will proceed those featured readings. Uh, we are getting close to the end. We have a couple, uh, I think we have time for definitely at least a few people off the wait list, but before we get to the wait list, our next reader, a former Yacht Poem of the Month winner, give it up for Stella Lee. Yeah. 
that has to deal with a lot of how technology can help the body comes from inspiration from a class I took with Rosebud Benoni about the metaverse. And it's entitled, You Promise Me Every Time My Body Is Pained. We'll take the best parts, place them in an android, humanoid, you know, sever spine and brainstem, attach nerves and only some parts of the circulatory system. Your lungs never seem to be a problem. We'll keep them. Keep your heart and its raucous dreams. Keep the dreams and the memories so you recognize us. We'll commit to the vivisection. Meet the sweeter parts of you like how sunsets live in your left optic nerve and daydreams nest in your occipital lobe. And that mind of yours with its neurons and pathways and chemicals, so many chemicals, still firing, still short-circuiting, still electric, still wild, those connections reflect the way sky echoes in your larynx. We will place it gently into silicone. Your jawbone fits melded with collagen sheets, your fingertips smothered between polymers, fused, pain-free hands. Curious how replacements so supple and smooth, but still your spine shuddered, will save your best parts. In this new body, this new place, part machine, part material, part counterfeit, the best parts of you were like a scythe each piece lancing through delicate fibrovascular ingrown, the best parts, an outer layer of celastic, the best paltry polyglycin mesh. We kept them in our chest. We won't lose you. Thank you. Okay, Stella Lee always kills it. The best parts of you were like a scythe. God damn. Okay, our next reader. I'm so glad we're getting to you. First off the wait list, I hope your uh, your was it your your daughter is. I we were talking about daughters. I hope you're still watching because uh, Michael is about to read. Give it up for Michael Cohen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as I've gotten older, uh, I've learned to want to thank things and places and people before it gets too late. So I just want to thank Brooklyn Poets. This is my second time. I can't tell you uh, the meaning it has to have this kind of community, and, and it's just been extraordinary. So thank you. It's really been great. Um, I've been involved in poetry since I was a kid, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but very well intended, uh, friends and acquaintances my whole life had said, I don't get it, you know? I just don't get it, could you explain it to me? So slightly irritated, but slightly seriously, I decided to respond. And um, I'm gonna read you two sections of a response uh, for time. Uh, it's called Poetry and Prayer. Poetry. 
There's nothing refined or special about it. It's as common as dying over a lost love or an overdose or car accident. It's no different than late night panic over money or worrying about your children or the flood of unwanted memories of past violence. Poetry is as pedestrian as the realization that you have less days ahead than before. It's as banal as naming unspoken fears, frightening desires barely acknowledged, and the dreams you know that will never come to pass. Poetry is all on the surface. It's the same as questioning how your life was stolen or lost and asking, how could you have been so careless? Poetry is overhearing someone say, you are my last love, somewhere high in the most foreign mountains. It's as predictable as the world spinning in my mind as the sunset explodes in unbearable brilliance. It's as common as my wanting to give you everything, to save you from this impossible life and pain and hardship. Poetry is only the eyes of the world that holds her eyes reflected in mine. And poetry is no different than the daily sweet drowning in the swirl of the world. Thank you. So quick part two called prayer. This is a question of how did you get started? I prayed at the library. I felt God's presence there and the sacred word was on every shelf, every page. And the feel of the paper between my fingers, too often with dirt under my nails, was heaven, soft skin, rough nights, and worn clothes. I touched her hand, the sun's reflection on the moon, the dark deep ocean, time travel, love, the horse's muscles under the saddle, heroes, fatigue, the force of life, the beauty of her eyes and the painting of the cosmos. I held in my young hands the mystery solved and thinking. I felt the thoughts as they were thought. I touched the invisible becoming visible. I touched all the words and God was not so angry with me there in the shadows of the endless racks of towering books, a forest of delicious wood and closing time was not the end. It was simply a time to go. Say good night, not goodbye. And in my life of uncertainty, fear and grief, this was the place of unconditional safety and love. All my friends will be here tomorrow, always and forever. My sister took me here and said, go in, go ahead, they're yours and you're theirs and the light was as blinding as the ark when opened. And I kissed the books with the edge of my fingers, first brought to my lips and then to the covers. It was too much to kiss them directly. That only came later. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, thank you, beautiful, beautiful poems. Thank you, Michael. Uh, let's see. I think we've got time for uh, maybe two more readers. Give it up for this next person was a student of my drop-in class. I teach a drop-in class, too, Friday night, <laughs> 5 to 6 p.m. It's called Poetry Happy, Hour, Poetry Happy Hour. Give it up for Parrish Finn.
This is my first time here. This poem is called The Hottest Month of the Year. The white rubble by the road froze overnight again. In the sun, it weeps like an infected wound. The first birds of spring, back from the south, are perched on a dripping telephone wire. A chunk of ice falls, and they all take flight. All of them, all at once, gone, the first birds of spring. That is how I want to leave, to die, with the papery sound of a fan opening to multiply into blackbird pieces of the sky. Not from the slow ache turning me into water that seeps back into the ground. Thank you. Wow, that's beautiful. The slow ache turning me back into water? Is that what it was? You're, you're all silent, so I'm assuming you're as astonished as I was. <laughs> uh, our next one, maybe that was short. Maybe we have time for two. Well, maybe we have time for all of them. Uh, let's give it up for Surrendry Arauer next reader. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thanks, everyone. I'm glad I could read. I was on the wait list. Um, so the, I wrote the first draft of this actually at a workshop that you gave on self-portraits at the opening of this space. So thought I'd read that here. It's called Self-Portrait at 40. I rarely feel like a real poet. Once, checking out Bukowski's women, I felt pleasure and guilt, and also less somehow. Everyday living complicates and dumbfounds me. Not just time and space, kindness, grace, and cruelty. Also basic upkeep, finances, waistline, home, emails, texts, friends, bills, ASAPs. Every day, I am afraid. Don't be, Alice says. She is beautiful and tells me I am too. She doesn't know I fear not arriving more than death. Death is, after all, the measure of music and all ephemeral beauty. Mozart and Thyagaraja are full, and I am empty next to them, a pale reflection, at best, a flashlight pointing at the sun. I find hate gauche. I wonder if this means I cannot love. But then I like to think, it's that I've chosen what is difficult and unforgiving, like a Taoist monk in the frigid mountains gnawing on roots. I live in Brooklyn. At a bar last week in the West Village, I confessed I am a theist. A fresh acquaintance eyed me, as one might, an obstinate succulent clinging to a vacant desert. He's read <clears throat> Voltaire in French, Sam Harris in English. It's not like that with God, I meant to quip. I'm a Hindu. We see other people. <laughs> Besides, God isn't like a magician's rabbit. She's close at hand as gravity, whose mothering embrace is why I am not drifting into the expanding void. 
I want to be myself, but people know I'm something else. I am American. My dad departed India before the emergency. Did he leave one wreck for another? Alice and I replace incense and flowers in the windowsill next to a photograph of my mother. If she could see me, I wonder, would she be disappointed? I call my father, but don't ask him. I don't want him to feel sad. One day, I will arrive, not leaving one wreck for others. Beyond the windowsill, the street turns briefly still. I listen. The din's pause lands like volumes toppled off a wobbly shelf, jumbled and motionless. Thanks. And we got something good out of that grand opening. That was an amazing poem, man. I fear not arriving more than death. Fuck. Uh, just like stab me right here. I feel like I think that every day. Uh, we have time for one more. Uh, I think our next reader is at Stephanie Nin. Yes? Give it up for Stephanie Nin. Very glad to get to read. Um, this poem includes a friend who for a long time kept bothering me about writing a poem that included him. So when it came out, I was very happy to say, I finally have one about you, it's about trash. Um, <laughs> yep. This is Garbage Boogie. Is it bad that in the crash of trash down the chute I hear music? The sound of hollow boxes and old bottles of booze lulls me confused into its groove. I have trash guilt. I'm culpable. Though I compost and sort my recyclables, I know that no amount of used glass can amount to real absolution. A friend suggests we throw it into space as the solution. My date's dad is a psycho recycler. I remember as I pass a strangely fragrant can. He sorts everything, the chopsticks and the wrapper separately bagged. We can't all be like him. The system can't need us to be superhuman. Of course I toss my takeout containers without rinsing the grease first. What am I if not a glutton for convenience? Waste is easy as moldy tomatoes tossed in the bin. I discard what I can't carry. Cheap furniture, responsibility, the ambitious bag of bacteria for kombucha never brewed, still fizzing miraculously. I empty myself gladly. Trash knows. It barrels into a bulge, shows off the ways we still overflow with hunger. So much hunger with nowhere to go. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Glad we got to that one at the end. Do you know that A.R. Ammon's book, Garbage? Uh, you got you to gotta get that tonight. It's called Garbage. It's a book-length poem by A.R. Ammons. How many of you read A.R. Ammons? It's like one of the great American poets of the last... 50 years. It's like nobody reads anything before 2018 anymore, y'all. <laughs> uh, he's such a great poet, Air Ammons. There are a lot of very long poems. He's got one poem called Garbage. Y'all better fucking order that tonight. You will, you, will, you will thank me later, especially you, Stephanie. <laughs> uh, we would stock it here if he was a Brooklyn poet, but he is not, so he doesn't get to be here. <laughs> 
maybe we'll make an exception. I don't know. Okay, to go back over the list, uh, again, if, to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. Uh, you can't vote for Tony because uh, Tony was a teacher. And you can vote for him. I mean, if you want to vote for him, go ahead. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> like, he's not eligible uh, to win. Uh, but again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. Just text me the posts. I can tell you haven't been here before. <laughs> if you don't know the number, 718, you know that area code, 374-1953. I will repeat this again, so uh, stay with me. I'm going to go over the poet's names. You just need to give me the poet's name as best you can. First name's probably sufficient. That was Stephanie Nin. Before that, Serendria Rao, Parrish Finn, Michael Cohen, Stella Lee, Cassidy Gabriel, Arthur Russell, Danielle Gasparo, Navila Nahid, Emma Carnes, Nidhi Vanga, Daniela, I guess we got a text already, Daniela Balarezo, Vanessa Horan, Jasmine Pirick, Ola Di Pupo, Mayungbo. I'm just hoping I, I'm going to listen to the recording, man. <laughs> I'll get it right on the podcast. Jess Gagne, Charlie Shaw, Jennifer Vano. Roy Wong, Vanessa Trost, and Nico Bryan, all the way back to the beginning. Um, again, 718-374-1953. That is how you vote for Poem of the Month. Uh, again, uh, in December, which I think we've locked down a date, but uh, we will confirm it soon, we will have the Yacht Poem of the Year contest featuring the 12 winners of Yacht Poem of the Month over the past year. The clock started last December, 2021, and will go through November. So, in fact, this is the third to last spot uh, in that lineup. And uh, so far, they, uh, I think they're all women. So, uh, fuck the men. <laughs> Y'all love the women, which is great. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens <laughs> over the next a uh, couple months along with this one, uh, but it's uh, every poet on that list so far is fire. Uh, again, the next yawp, the tickets go on sale in about 10 minutes, 9 minutes, uh, 9.30. Uh, that is, it's always the second Monday of every month. I believe that is, can you check the calendar real quick, Noel? Is it October 10th? Is that correct? Yes. And that will be led by, uh, some people think he's my doppelganger, Kyle Leung. Uh, it's just because he's like the only other Asian male poet people know, which is fucked up. <laughs> Y'all better realize there are other Asian men besides me and Kyle that write poems. Uh, but uh, Kyle teaches a drop-in on Thursday nights uh, about poetry, roadmaps, and preservation. I think some of you have taken that. Uh, but he will be leading the YAWP on October 10th. He's an amazing poet, former student of mine at Quinnipiac University and uh, is a physician's assistant too. So if you, if you need medical help, you know <laughs> that night, you know you're in good hands. He's an amazing guy. Also recently uh, got uh, engaged. Um, so uh, we got just marital theme in the house for every op this year. Um, again, next Friday, September 23rd, not, I guess like two Fridays from now, September 23rd, Friday night open. You can uh, still get tickets, I think, to, to get uh, a ticket to, to read for the open mic. Uh, I'm pretty sure we still have tickets available, and Cassidy Gabriel will be reading along with Isabella Descendi. If you want tickets for that October 10th open mic and you want to read, uh, I would get on that at 9.30 or as soon as possible because the reserved open mic seats will, f will I, I guarantee you, those will be bought very quickly, probably by tomorrow. Okay, there are t again, just to go over this, there are 10 tickets 
for reserved open mic spots. That means you buy those tickets. You've got a spot. You can show up whenever the fuck you want. You can show up like two minutes before you read. That would be pushing it, but you can. <laughs> you can try. Every other ticket, if you get the workshop and open mic, some are reserved seats. We reserve all these seats. And then general admission is you don't have a seat, but you can claim one if you get here. It says open mic sign up. That means you sign up at the door. So the recommendation is to get here as early as possible. Doors open at 6 and sign up for that. Uh, and I think that is all. I'm boring my, when I, whenever I'm boring myself with my announcements, I know it's time to wrap uh, podcast, we usually publish this uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's called the Yopcast. We'd love it if you subscribe. Uh, rate us five stars. Helps other readers or listeners find these poets. Thank you all for coming tonight. It's a great audience. Monday night, not a, not a night that a lot of people go out, but uh, you're all here, and that is amazing. Uh, stick around for a little bit if you want. Have some wine, uh, and thank you, and good night. Right. There you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for September 12th, 2022. The second at 144 Montague Street, our new space in Brooklyn Heights. And the second we've done in person since the pandemic began. It's so nice to do this in person again. Uh, it was a packed house. We sold all the advanced tickets. Several more people show up at the door. Uh, the open mic is alive and well as always uh i didn't know if i expected any different but uh we always have new readers we always have returning readers and uh every month it is uh fucking fire so if you haven't been before go to brooklynpoets.org look under events look for the op uh you can get tickets there it's 15 dollars for the workshop and open mic if you are one of the lucky 10 to get it, one of the first 10 reserved seats you get a reserved open mic spot after that you can sign up at the door uh, congrats to Stephanie New, a Yop debuter, for winning Yop Poem of the Month for her amazing poem, Garbage Boogie. Stephanie's earned a spot in our 2022 Poem of the Year contest, which is coming soon in December. Just a couple of months away, there's just a couple of spots left now for that contest. Just two of the 12 spots are left to be filled. So we'll see what happens uh, in the next couple of months. Thanks to new Brooklyn Poets teacher Anthony Thomas Lombardi for leading a, a really amazing workshop that uh, everyone was raving about afterward on uh, Dream Journals, which is incidentally the subject of his Wednesday night drop-in that he teaches bi-weekly. Uh, and if you're interested in that, the next one coming up is on October 5th. Those classes are an hour-long generative, gen, generative writing, like the YOP, uh, and it's $25 at the door, $23 in advance, and $20 for members. Our next YOP, two weeks away, on October 10th, Indigenous People's Day, will be led by Kyle Young, one of our other new teachers, former student of mine from Quinnipiac University, brilliant guy, uh, not only a poet, but a physician's assistant in New York City and uh, just an all-around fabulous human being, so come out for that. Uh, we've already sold a bunch of tickets, but uh, there are still tickets available. Again, go to brookenpost.org, look under events. Uh, again, that is October 10th. And if you can't get a spot for the open mic for that one, you may have heard about our new open mic event on Friday nights called the Friday Night Open. We just had the first one of these on September 23rd. 
It's an open mic followed by two featured readers, and our next one comes up on October 21st. That will feature Stephanie New, the winner of Yacht Poem of the Month for September, as well as uh, a Brooklyn Poets Fellow, another student of mine, J.C. Rodriguez, who just started an MFA program at Syracuse, a really brilliant young poet. Okay, uh, that is all. If you like what you heard, we'd love it if you'd rate us five stars on iTunes. Subscribe to this, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, and spread the word. And uh, if you haven't seen you before at the op, we hope we'll see you next time. All right, thanks for listening. Take care.